Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, everyone. I hope that you are all uh, uh, well and happy uh, this uh, afternoon. Uh, this is another one of our series of conversations with educators on the COVID-19 front line. Um, uh, with me is uh, Dr. Gerard uh, Cristanino from the Jersey City uh, School District. He's the Director of Special uh, Education there. Uh, he's also a school board member in Berkeley Heights. Uh, I'm going to be calling him Jerry. I've known him for a good number of years. Um, if you want to ask him a question, you can do it two ways. One, you can call 1-347-989-8904 and press the number one. Robin, who is working the switchboard, will get your name and put, put you on to me. Or you could just type, log into with Blog Talk Radio. We have a chat room feature. There's no fee for that. And you can just type in a question and I'll pass it on. So, uh, like I said, uh, how are you, Jerry? How are you doing? You know, I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm very thankful that, you know, everybody's healthy and um, we're getting through this. Who would ever think, Ray, a couple of years ago that we'd be discussing this type of thing? This is just amazing. No. We you know, discuss but, a lot. Um, I think it shows on a the lot resiliency of, of people. Yep. Uh, so <laughs> for those who are listening, Jersey, um, they know Jersey City is a large district. Could you just give me a snapshot of what, how large the district is and, and your uh, student population? <clears throat> sure. Um, for those that don't know Jersey City, we're um, right off of, right across the uh, water from Manhattan. We're considered the most diverse city in the United States by one of those polls that they do. Uh, we have a varying levels of socioeconomics. We have a lot of people moving into the area um, from all over the world, um, basically because it's probably more economically feasible than Manhattan. Our district is 32,000 wonderful students, and we have about 5,000 great staff members that work with us. In special ed, we uh, vacillate between 4,100 and 4,200 students. Um, we have a very large autistic population, and we are very happy that people are moving into Jersey City for our special education services. Um, and that's really Jersey City. Jersey City is always changing. There's challenges with that. But every group, new group that comes in enriches us and really kind of challenges us how we can improve. And, and you know, we're glad they're moving in. And, uh, Jerry, when this came up, was started uh, percolating the situation that we might have to close schools and we had to – I mean, right. your director, you know, you said over 4,000 students. What were your first steps with your staff uh, and, and obviously with your administration? Sure. Well, obviously, after we got over the shock of this was really going to happen, um, and we created an action plan, you know, with our superintendent and obviously with the, um, with the blessing of the board. And in special education, I always believe that you need an action plan with everything you do, just like we do with our strategic plan as board members. We create an action plan. We obviously revise ours. We do a five-year action plan because this was more an immediate um, issue. So we created an action plan, and that helped us determine what kind of funding we would go. Um, first, we knew we were going to go into remote instruction. So we had to figure out, really determine, is everybody familiar with remote instruction? 
We know that we use Google Classrooms and our students, um, like students throughout the state, are getting themselves or are familiar with online learning. And we've had opportunities in the past, mostly in our high schools. Um, and we in special ed have been using strategic interventions um, online for many, many years. So our students are somewhat familiar, but are our teachers ready to do this? And our teachers stepped up to the plate. From what I understand throughout the state, they have, they have all done a wonderful job. Um, we provided PD, we created webinars for our teachers, and also um, linked them to our parent portals because we wanted our parents to understand. That was really the most concerning thing. Do we really know what we're doing? And, and I think that we all stepped up to the plate in the state. Um, of course, you have to determine, do you have enough remote devices? Because for most of us, we don't um, send devices home with students, and there's many challenges when you do that. Um, where I'm a board member, we do, so it was, it was not easier, but it was a different issue. So in Jersey City, we had to determine, do we have enough remote devices, and what's the internet capability in the home? Some of our areas in the homes do not have internet capability. Um, Verizon, about a year or two ago, had offered some um, programs where you could have like hotspots in different areas of the city, and thankfully our superintendent took advantage of that. So it wasn't as um, problematic as it would have been several years ago, but that's something you have to worry about. So we surveyed the parents. Do you have internet capability? Do you have remote devices at home? How do we get the remote devices to those students? Because remember, this happened immediately when schools were closed. Right. Um, we created packets um, that could go home to the parents that didn't have devices till we could figure out a way to get it to them. We also created individual packets of instruction for our self-contained students because they're at all different levels. And even though they would be receiving remote instruction through their teachers, we wanted to give them supplemental work at home. So we created about, we have about 1,600 students that are either in self-contained or in some level of self-contained. Maybe they spend part of their day in the self-contained class. So I have, I'm very blessed because I have lead teachers and I have supervisors who are really very hard workers. Directors are only as good as their staff. And so they created all these packets. We mailed them out. It was an assembly line. Um, thank God for the people that are in duplication and, and mailing that could do that. Again, a large district has that capability. One thing we did set up was a hotline email. We always had a hotline phone number, but because the central office was going to be closed, we set up hotmail emails for parents to field questions. And that actually came from a board member <clears throat> who has a student with disability, a child with a disability. Um, and he said, you know, how do, I, how do I as a parent, like, inquire? You know, the child study teams are calling the parents every couple of days and all, but, but what if I need other questions? So we set up a hotline, <clears throat> and that's always manned, um, both the phone and the email. We thought that was very helpful. Um, and we tried to communicate with parents as much as possible. We, um, we always had a Twitter or Facebook, and we obviously we have a website page, and we really tried to increase that presence. In fact, in our Twitter page, we send out continually um, things that you can do with your child at home. <clears throat> because remember, the, the parents have them all day. And I mean, I can't imagine when my daughter, you know, was six, seven, whatnot, having her all day, and really not being responsible for not only my own work, but but 
helping supplement the instruction at home. So we were giving things to do. These things you could do it with your child. You know, these are educational things coming on television. If you have this this um, availability, go on this this um, show with your child and maybe review these questions. So we we did that, and um, we received you know fairly positive feedback from parents. Um, biggest challenge was really setting up teleservices, and um, they really uh, for those people out there. They're like occupational, physical therapy, speech therapy, counseling, um, all those services they receive in school. And the challenge was really that until April 1st, the state board had not allowed those services to be used through teleservices. We had Mm -hmm. always set up services. Um, As soon as we went into remote instruction, we had our therapists working with their students, but they were a different type. They weren't really IEP driven. They were more maintenance. Because remember, we were hoping we would be back in school in a couple of weeks. Um, once the state board approved it, we went full swing. We set up um, we set up webinars for parents. We set up um, different Facebook accounts for parents so they understood what they were doing so we could really move ahead on the teleservices. I know that was challenging throughout the state, but you know, people step up to the plate. And so um, that's something we had to do. So, um, and you mentioned, I mean, mm-hmm. you went through some of the server, the different uh, classifications. Um, and mm-hmm. it's it's probably more, it is more difficult than maybe your AP mm-hmm. student uh, doing this. And it must be hard <laughs> on the parents uh, uh, because, yeah. you know, this is very difficult. What about like an autistic child? Because you do have a large mm-hmm. autistic and how does uh, do. how do you try to do that remotely? I, I know it's not perfect. Well, you know, to teachers of autistic students, as with cognitive impaired students and other other um, classifications, have a real heart for these students. So, you know, obviously they receive a remote instruction, but that's where we need to give parents a lot of sort of homework to do to supplement it. Because again, I mean, they're dealing with the the behavioral issues and the um, idiosyncrasies of all the students at home, again, 24 hours. So we can give a little bit of a respite by putting them on a remote instruction, but some of them can't, it's difficult for them to even concentrate for that long time. So many of our mm-hmm. teachers took breaks, would call back, you know, we would try to stagger it. But the teleservices, I think, were helpful because it was some of them were more on a one-on-one basis, so they could actually see the, the uh, their therapist that they're familiar with. I think that gave the parent a break. And again, just giving a lot of work that the parent could do to supplement, not all parents are able to do that. A lot of parents, you know, have their own challenges at home. Um, it's difficult to survive nowadays for many people. So they could do what they can do. But we have to. We had to provide a lot of support there, um, and also, you know, rely on our colleagues in the field. What, what's working in other cities? What's working in, um, you know, say your Berkeley Heights, you know, and talking to people and just saying, you know, let's steal your ideas, and that and that's kind of how I think we've been getting through it so far. Hmm. And um, one, I talked to a special ed uh, teacher. Uh, and one of the tough things that she felt during this whole time period was that they spend the whole year trying to get a routine built for the students. Um, 
and now that routine has kind of been dismantled right. pretty much overnight. Um, right. So th- that's their one worry as they move forward. Is that something that you see too as a worry as you move forward? Oh, I think that's a major thing. I mean, it takes many students, especially students with disabilities, quite a while to adjust back into the school when September opens. So, of course, we have extended school year programs to be able to continue the learning that they were doing once school ends. But it's always an adjustment. If you remember, Ray, when we were kids, it was hard to get back into school. You know, you're used to having a different thing all all summer. Um, So we're going to look at students that have been out of school possibly six months, assuming we go back in September. And it's for some of them, it will be like a, t- a totally new experience. So it is mm-hmm. difficult. And it's difficult to keep a routine while children are at home. And I think we were told that to parents. The most important thing is try to maintain a routine with your, stu- with your child. Because if this is the time for them to be on remote instruction, do remote instruction. If this is your time to be doing homework, do homework. Because to get them back into uh, the regular routine is going to be very challenging. We'll do it. I mean, teachers are amazing like that. But but we want to do it as quickly as possible. We want everything to return to normalcy as quickly as possible. Uh, as you went through this, and you, you mm-hmm. said it, and we all thought it would be like two, three, maybe four weeks, uh, right. obviously, the rest of the school year. Did you have to make any adjustments along the way that you learned? You know, you always, you always make adjustments. I mean, it, w- it would be it would be so arrogant to say that you don't readjust and that you didn't make some mistakes in the beginning. I mean, thankfully, they weren't mistakes that really harmed anyone. <clears throat> but we always find, you know, better ways of, that we have to increase more communication with parents. We really have to <clears throat> make sure everybody is well, and we have to do those check-ins with the parents. So the hotline was a good example. We didn't open with an email hotline for parents. Like I said, a board member mentioned that. Um, we're always reassessing our teleservices. We have a website now, and I think we've had maybe 2,000 hits on it. Um, we didn't have a website, but my speech and language pathologist said, hey, look, we can give things for kids to do at home. Let's do a website. So they did a website. So we're always reassessing. I think once we get back into, like, in-school instruction, we're going to have to reassess how successful was remote learning. You know, the students were not getting the normal amount of instruction that they normally did. Everybody was getting four hours, you know, minimum. Um, And so we have to hope that there was extra work going on. And what about physical education? Were students getting their physical needs met? So I think those are things we're going to have to reassess. Um, major concern will be the mental health and social-emotional needs of our students, our staff, our families. Um, I put, I'm participating in the Department of Ed has um, created a, um, a group of professionals that are looking at this issue. They're hoping to come out with guidance by September on um, different things that will guide board, boards and districts on things to to be able to do, um, because that's a major thing. People are stuck in their home, oh. in their home for and people have had significant losses because of COVID nineteen. And when students come back, we need to be able to deal with those. We're trying to deal with them now. We do. We obviously all districts are doing 
some form of counseling and support. But until the students come in and the parents come in, we're not really going to know how much support we really need. So that's going to be a major thing. As a board member, we're going to have to think about how do we fund those. You know, we're going to right. have to find money. I know there's money out there <clears throat> coming in, but is that going to be enough? Depending on the community, we're going to have to make that determination. So uh, just to kind of sum up what you're saying is that when we come back in September, it's going to be a it's going to be a different opening than we've had in previous <clears throat> years. It's going to be more of a focus on where are the kids both educationally uh, and academically, mm-hmm. but also socially, emotionally. So that's going to, yeah. and that's not going to happen in a day or two. No, no. <clears throat> I mean, nobody can give a time span. It's going to be different for every child in every community, but certainly there's going to be a lot of time when we're going to have to just assess the students, assess our staff, and really just be patient with everybody. This is not going to be an easy transition back. Um, There are going to be, especially with students with disabilities, you know, questions like how do we have them socially distance? Many of our students do not have good boundaries and don't understand social distancing. How do we maintain um, PPEs with our students? Do they have to wear face masks? If they do, how do we keep a face mask on a student that has sensitivity issues or doesn't understand why he or she would need it. These are all things that we're all grappling with um, throughout the state. I've been on many, many conversations, and I will continue. How do we do this? Because there's certain safeties that we know we're going to have to put in place, and special education students, many of them will have difficulty with that, You know, especially those students that have some other challenges that we're dealing with. So this is something, like you said, Ray, this is new to all of us. We're all learning. Thankfully, we're all doing this. We're all in this together. Um, but beginning of the school year, whenever that is, whether we return in September or January, um, in in person, I mean, these are things that we're going to have to, um, you know, kind of ferret out before we can really move ahead. Yeah, and I'm going to bring you back at the focus when we get a little down the road on that September, because I think uh, every time I think about it, I, I, I create more questions. Um, Me too. <laughs> uh, I do too. I, yeah. Uh, one thing, I uh, just switching gears a little bit, just the administrative work, uh, the mm-hmm. child study team observations and discussions and uh, the IEP meetings, how are those working? I mean, I, I know they're <laughs> remote, but uh, right. what are well, the challenges you know, that? I, Mm-hmm. I mean, initially when we started, they were a little challenging because we're we're not used to doing it that way. Um, in Jersey City, they're working out very well. I mean, we um, first was how do we get parent signatures? Everything has to be signed. So we figured, okay, if parents email us with their consent, that's a legal document, we'll do that. And after the fact, we will get signatures. Um, <clears throat> meetings have been progressing. We're continuing to do what we normally do. Timelines are a little concerning with um, initial evaluations. I think that's that I know that's statewide because I've had many conversations <clears throat> because there's some assessments, evaluations that are just not made for remote applications. For instance, right. to do an IQ test. You know, and I know the Department of Ed has been having conversations um, with a lot of vendors about how do we do this. And, you know, moving ahead, we need to figure that out because hopefully we'll get over this and hopefully there won't be another rise in this. 
But what happens five years from now, 10 years from now? We, we need to learn from what happened here and be ready. And um, I think this, this, if anything good came out of this, is that we know we have to be more prepared for crisis. Um, and things like how can we assess students remotely is something that in the field we have to really look at and figure this out. And we'll figure it out. But we never thought we would need to before. So that, that's it. But, I, but the IEP process, you know, in Jersey City and other districts that I talk to, you know, we have almost weekly meetings in Hudson County with all the directors. I chair for ASA uh, and JSA um, Special Ed Committee where we talk with all the special ed, the superintendents and the directors throughout the state. And it's working. But is it where we want it to be? No, not yet. Okay. Um, yeah. I think that brings me to the end of my questions. Um, like I said, I'm going to bring you back to really spend all our time talking about opening the schools because uh, I think that's a big one. Uh, is there any uh, – yeah. what do you see as the biggest challenge as we move forward with our special ed students? Because I, I, I do think – Everyone, um, all the educators I know, that was one of their biggest concerns is meeting the needs of special ed, right. which would be a little bit di more difficult. I really think the biggest challenge is the social distancing and the PPA. I think that's going to be very, very difficult, not only for special ed students, but for all students. Um, you know, a first, second, third grader, you know, you can get them to put the mask on, you can get them to keep it on for a while, Will they do that for as long as the school day will be? Maybe we need to look at um, changing some of the school hours and having more flexibility in that. But to me, those are going to be the most challenging. We'll assess the students. We'll get them back in. It may take a little time. Kids are resilient. Um, the mental health issues we'll all address, and we have wonderful people in the field to do that. But the basic question is, how do you keep a face mask on the student? How do you tell a child, you can't go and give your best friend a hug. Those are, going to be, those are going to be challenges. And I encourage our parents to start now at home, you know, maybe putting a face mask on them. Let, them. let them kind of get used to it. So the first time they do it is not when they get back to school, assuming that's what the um, medical experts determine that has to be. But I think we feel that that will, will be the determination. We need to now start getting the children to understand about social distancing and about wearing, you know, and just caution with, with um, what they're doing with, with their peers. It's easier yeah. to do it at home because they're all, everybody's quarantined. What happens when you go outside and your parent's not there and the teacher is trying to manage a classroom and, you know, somebody starts removing their mask or, or somebody has a breathing complication and they can't be wearing a mask anyway. To me, that's the biggest yeah. challenge. Everything else, you know, we're educators, and the parents have been wonderful. We'll all get together. We'll all figure it out. But to determine, like, how we're going to deal with that. Okay. I'm glad that you're optimistic on that one. Uh, I think it's I'm, – I'm, I'm optimistic. I, you know what? Yeah, I know. You're <clears throat> always optimistic, Jerry. We have to – you know what, Ray? We have to be optimistic because we owe it to the kids, you know? Yep. We don't have – we don't have – the ability not to be optimistic with this. We have to make yeah. it right for our students, and, and we will. And yeah. everyone, everyone is working hard for the students from the, 
from the maintenance staff up to the, the board and yeah. the superintendent, all the teachers. I, I don't think I've ever seen, and I've said this numerous times, I don't think I've ever seen more collaboration among Absolutely. Uh, all the educators, both at the state level and at the local level. Absolutely. I mean, everybody looks at this and saying this is a shared problem. This is a shared yep. problem, and we will – and, you know, that's to me – I mean, it sounds a little patriotic, but that's one of the great things about where we all live in this country is, you know, when it comes down to it, we're able to bounce back because we all work together. And this will happen yep. with this too. Alrighty. Okay, that brings well, us to the end of this uh, interview with Jerry Cristanino from uh, the Jersey well, City. Thank uh, you very much. He's always a pleasure to talk to, and is a wealth of knowledge on special education. And good luck, Jerry, with uh, both you. Thank you. The, both school districts that you are involved with. And, and I thank hope you, everyone Ray. enjoyed it's the. Always program. my pleasure, and I just wish everybody out there to be healthy and happy and. You know, again, we'll do this all together. I appreciate it. Okay. Thanks, Jerry. Take care, Ray. All right. Bye now. Good afternoon, everyone.